welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going shopping. We're going to buy now and pay later. I need my things. Hey, remember when you said that was a terrible tagline? Can we revisit that? It wasn't so bad in the context of this movie. Actually, it's pretty good. All right. I I, just wanted to get vindication. Before we get into needful things from 1993... How was your week? Uh, my week was filled with Burmese food. That's the thing that's really in my attention right now. I it's because it smells like your leftovers that I eated. Right. So what did you think of Burmese food? It was fine. I wanted it to be spicy, and it's not spicy. It's milder. It's mild. It's milder. There's a really nice restaurant not too far away from this Burma superstar, and they have really nice drinks and Burmese food, which I don't have that often, but they have... Yeah, it's actually pretty good, but it's mild. It's it reminds me of Indian food. It does. There are curries, but it's milder. And th- there's a really hearty kind of pumpkin curry that I had. Yeah. Although it didn't age well, from what you tell me. No, it was just very pumpkiny. It's fine. Anyhow. So how was your week? Um, Aside from, did um, you have any delicious meals? No, okay. I don't know. I don't remember. All right. I don't think I've been eating. I've been very stressed due to personal reasons. Yes. Yeah. Personal reasons. So I don't think I've been eating or sleeping very much. So that's fun. You know, I have been listening to a lot of podcasts. Okay. And I have been, uh, I just joined some Stephen King groups on Facebook. Really? Which may be. We will get some listeners from. I don't know. Hi, listeners, if you are listening listeners from there. Listeners have come through Stephen King Facebook groups. Yeah. They shall remain anonymous. Constant readers. Ah, ah. So, um, I don't know. If, should we go into the book now? You do you want to go into the film now? Mm-hmm. I think well, let's go into it. Okay. So, we watched 1993 mm-hmm. horror film based on 1991 novel of the same name, Needful Things. And before we get started, I want to get I want to just say a few things. Yes. About what we watched and what I think was sad about it. So we watched the only edit of this film that you can watch. Uh it's a 2-hour cut of this film. And it is not long enough to convey what it wants to convey. Right. Uh, which is a real bummer because I think this story is a very good story. I think when you, and I read the book, this is one of the first books I think that I read. Mm, Uh. It wouldn't have been one of the first ones because it came out when I was 11, but I think I read it in the first couple of years that it was out I don't know that I ever saw the movie before, but I do remember really liking the book and really feeling for the people because most of the people in this town, and this town would be Castle Rock. You guys have heard of Castle Rock before. I'm completely unfamiliar with it. Um, Most of the people who are afflicted by this, cancer of a man Leland Gaunt are good people they are not 
I sort of, I felt like Janet for a second. He's not a man. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> not a man. Uh, yes, no, correct. Matt, Leland Gontis, not a man. Uh, he's a mysterious proprietor. He is not a man. We all know who he is, but go ahead. Um, like, for instance, um, I'll just put this out. The main female character protagonist, I guess, Bonnie Bedelia, uh, playing her, uh, Polly, in this film, is afflicted by terrible arthritis in her hands. As a person who has arthritis, not nearly to the degree that she has, I cannot find fault with her wanting to not be in excruciating pain all of the time as a not terribly old woman. She is in her 30s, I believe, in this. In this. Uh, she might be in her early 40s in the book, but already her hands are gnarled and painful, and it's only going to ever get to get worse. He gives her a necklace, and her pain is relieved. And then a price is extracted, right? But she doesn't go to him like, I'd sell my soul to to stop this pain. <laughs> like, that's not... There's The first person who is is sort of taken in by him is a child. Like, it feels unfair. We don't get a full background of a lot of these people in this movie because there's no time. There's no time. There's too many people in this movie and there's no time. So this movie, when it aired on TBS, got a four-hour time block and had an hour extra footage and was in a totally different order. So you kind of maybe got to understand some more of the people in it uh, instead of just watching bad things happen to people over and over and over again, which is what you get in the two-hour cut. Are you there? Are you listening? <laughs> I'm listening. I'm just preparing something. Okay. Okay. So my introduction to this movie was in the supercut. Okay. It was on TBS. And I remember coming over to visit one Sunday morning uh, to help with my dad, and my mom was absorbed by this movie. Your mom watched this movie? Oh, yeah, she did. That's wild and to she me. And uh, she was really absorbed by this movie and all the things that were happening in it because she just got swept along. I don't remember the differences, unfortunately, because I came in the middle of it. Okay. And so I don't remember many of the differences. Something I shared with you earlier that I'll share with our audience is that when I was a kid, a movie would be in the theater, yep. and then a year or two later, it would be on network television, yep. and they would cut out any sex or mm -hmm. foul language, and yeah. they dubbed them over in really ridiculous ways. Well, like a plain ways, cut. Right. Yeah. So one of the ways that they would attract your attention to see a movie like Jaws or you know, Superman that you'd seen in the theater is that they would just add in all the scenes that got cut out, right. and it would become a three-hour event. As a Superman took and two normally to you'd watch it and you'd be like, right. "Oh, this is why it got cut out." Right, this so is not stuff. Superman <laughs> had a bunch of extra footage. It was spread over two nights. Uh, King Kong. I remember the first time it was run on network TV. It had all sorts of footage that I've never seen again, and I miss because I'm like, "Wow, I've never seen a cut with that scene with the the where he shoves a car inside of a building." I've never seen that again because it got cut out. And it's got only it. been on that television print, and it was only on that print. That's the thing. Uh -huh. They when they released this movie. For home video, uh -huh. they only released a two-hour version. So we watched it on Stars. Okay. 
And it's the only version that you could see. It's two hours long. Yeah, that's a pity because you I feel that... You can't buy the longer one on Amazon. Right. They never released it on CD or on DVD or on B, uh, Blu-ray or even on VHS. They never released the longer it's version of it. It's a huge pity because I think the film would really benefit from, as you said, the... This thing needs to be, I would say... Six hours long. The plot, it would make a great miniseries. I think a miniseries, but not like, not a 10 episode thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it needs 10. I think six, eight at the outside is as many as you need for this. Well, it's. But two hours isn't enough. I don't think anybody comes into this story not knowing what's supposed to happen. Right. What, and this is, I think that. In that respect, this is the answer, no, no, this is the descendant of Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes. The devil yes. comes into a town on a circus and yeah. gives people what they promise. And let's do our uh, let's do the one one line summary. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two year old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. A mysterious new shop opens. In a small town, which always seems to stop stock the deepest desires of each shopper, with a price far heavier than expected. Okay, so Max von Sydow uh-huh. is playing Leland Gaunt. Those are both great names that you could switch them. Right. <laughs> and he's the devil. You can tell by his bad teeth and nails, which only appear when he's being devilish. When Otherwise, he's by himself, right. Well, he's being devilish all of the time. Well, no, but but when I mean, he's he right. he doesn't show that to other people. When he's chanting up storms and he's yes. causing things like that. Um, um, our protagonist is Sheriff Pangborn. We just saw him in the dark half, being right. played by Michael, Michael Rooker. Rooker. Here he is played by the ineffable. That's not the word I want. Ineffable. <laughs> sort of divine. Ed Harris. Right. Who I love. I love Ed Harris. Ed Harris is going to come back. Ed Harris is going to be in other Stephen King things. Ed Harris is a good er- Sheriff Pangborn. Right. Top two Sheriff Pangborns, I'm going to say. <laughs> I do like Scott Glenn in the yeah. Castle Rock series. Same kind of actor, too. True. And they worked together, I think, in The Right Stuff. Oh, were they both in The yeah. Right Stuff? Yeah. Oh, was he doing his um, Houston I don't... Was it a movie where Ed Harris was in the... Because he's in a bunch of movies. Uh-huh. Like, he's in Apollo I, 11. I, I know that they're in the same cast. I do not know... I've never seen the movies. Oh, okay. I've never seen the movie either. I do know that my drama teacher from co- or from high school was uh, an extra in one of the scenes. Oh, sorry. I dated one of the nude girls running around the campfire in the doors. Congratulations. There we go. That's 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 the right of, response to that, right? right? <laughs> that's one of my <laughs> claims to fame. I, I also knew the person who was the exploding head in Total Recall in passing. The woman whose uh, robot head explodes. Well, doesn't somebody owe you money? Ed Brubaker owes me money. <laughs> so the guy who wrote the, the current Marvel Universe, a lot of it, owes me five bucks. So there you go. That's your biggest kind of fame. So So far. (laughs) I've got to do better. I have to do better. So Alan Pangborn, though, in this particular film is is a Christ-like figure Uh in that he has no desires (laughs) and will not deign 
to be involved in well, this in store. Well, in the cut that we saw, it might be that there's something... I don't know. Right. Okay, so we're going <laughs> I can only discuss right. the film that I watched. Okay. So... Uh, Which right is true, up, yes, I would say that. Right off the bat, there's not a big lead-up. I was like, is this going to be like Salem's Lot, where we're just not going to see the shop for like uh, half of the damn movie? Right. Nope. This thing opens immediately, so that's good. So Leland Gott, claiming to be from Akron, Ohio. <laughs> Which I think is one of the funniest Rude. bits of the movie. <laughs> this I'm is, pretty sure he is calling Akron hell. I'm pretty sure that's This what is that Max von Sydow, for those of you who are unfamiliar with him, all six foot four of him. One of the most well-respected and dignified presences on the film screen. He's amazing. Yes, we got to talk a little bit about him. Right. So one of, was was The Exorcist one of his first roles? No, no. He oh, okay. started acting in 1949. He's oh, okay. had an incredibly long career. He's still at 90, and most uh, what he's most recognized for is his films with Ingmar Bergman, like The Seventh Seal and Wild Strawberries, and The Virgin Spring. Um, and the magician, which actually I think is had is probably what got him cast here, where he's playing a magician who plays a particularly nasty trick. I don't think I realized um, he played the three-eyed raven. Because he's that kind of guy. I mean, he, he's also significantly like he's you don't see him stand. Uh-huh. Right. He can't stand like that character can't stand. So I'm used to seeing a big man, right. and in this, he was not a big There's man. There's a scene he has with Bonnie Bedelia, who's a small, lovely, and petite creature, and he absolutely dwarfs her. He looks she like a giant. She looks like a, like a little person. Uh-huh. I was just like, this is wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's worked with Sidney Pollock. He's worked with uh, Bergman. He's worked with John Huston. He's worked with uh, John Milius. He, he did... The David Lynch, it's amazing the career that he's had. Now, The Exorcist is the point that you brought up. So, it, in 1973, right. so he was born when? He was born in uh, 1929. Yes. So, in 1973, at the age of 44, right? is that what that, I did that math real fast, so sorry, everyone. I will never disagree with you about math. He, he was in the, he Appeared in The Exorcist, and they old-aged him. Right. Dick Smith. Dick Smith, genius. Genius of old-age makeup and other makeups, too, right. but specifically old-age makeup. Aged him to a point that he stopped getting work because people thought he was too old. <laughs> That's bananas. Right. And I knew he was young. I didn't realize uh-huh. he was in his 40s at this time. But um, So, yeah, so he went through some things in the 70s and 80s. Uh his the best thing about him is his voice. I don't know if that's true. A good thing about him is his voice. He's born outside of the United States, right? Yeah. He uh he's Danish? He's Swedish. Swedish. He Swedish speaks. French. Right. He's a remarkable actor. I think the if anybody questions his range. He played the devil and Jesus. He played the devil and he played Jesus. He played Jesus for George Stevens, another great filmmaker and the greatest story ever told. And then he goes on to play the devil. And somewhere in between played Ming the Merciless as a joke. And he had a great time. I don't love that. In Flash Gordon, he plays... Is that not Yellowface? Um, no, it stopped being Yellowface by that point. It was oh. just somebody named Ming. <laughs> so the early Flash Gordon serials, it's perfect. plainly um, Yellowface. But, so before yeah. we even get too far into the things, we should say this movie is directed by um, Fraser C. Heston. Right. Son of 
Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. You know what that C stands for? Not Charlton. Oh, Don't really? say good, it. Good. It's Fraser Clark Heston, uh-huh. uh, who is a director, producer, screenwriter, actor. I don't know that we could call him an actor. He was in one thing as a baby. I no, don't know. That, that that's something for people who have seen the Ten Commandments. The baby floated. The baby Moses is played by Fraser. And the adult Moses is played by his father, his which father. I thought was adorable. That's very, that is cute. And then he was a narrator in a documentary. Right. Those are his acting credits. He's not an actor. Oh. <laughs> oh. You're a baby's not an method. actor. No. Nope. He's a method actor. <laughs> method actors are bad actors because it means that they cannot go we to a place and do a job. That you were a baby. Well, okay, there you go. He did a great job. He was not as natural an actor. actor as Marlon Brando ever was. Not so there. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes, I know. Uh, and who wrote this movie? This movie was written by W.D. Richter. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, what do we know about W.D. Richter? We know that he wrote a lot of popular films in the 80s. We co-wrote Big Trouble in Little Tribe. Exactly. China. We wrote, oh, not the Slither I know, a different Slither. Ooh, Stealth. He wrote the movie Stealth, which is the first movie that the Flophouse ever did. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Brew Baker, which is a very good film, and the '78 version of Invaders of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers is that the one with uh, Sutherland? Donald uh-huh. Sutherland. Uh, okay, that's interesting. He's so, a, yeah, he was a very he was a go to screenwriter in the '80s in particular. Oh, and he directed The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the yes. East. Dimension. Which is a really silly, fun it cult is. movie. It is. So that's who wrote and directed this movie. It's not a uh, Dino De Laurentiis joint. It's no. not a Which George is Romero odd because he, hired, he, he liked Max von Sydow a lot. Uh, yeah, but could he have gotten him? No, he did. Oh, okay. He's the one who produced Flash Gordon. He, oh, okay. Right? All right. So... He arrives in Castle Rock. Now, where have we seen Castle Rock before? We saw it in the dark half. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it a bit from... Um, Stand By Me, wasn't it? Yes. Okay, but it was Castle Rock, Seattle. Yeah, Oregon. Castle Rock, Oregon. Well, Oregon, doesn't count. I'm sorry. Um, and then, I'm just trying to think. There's a Castle Rock, you know, about an hour away from here. It's not the Castle Rock. I, I think... The ice is going to break, I think. <laughs> there was some Castle Rock reference in that movie. Okay. Which The name of which is escaping me, because I always get it mixed up with the dark half. Dead uh, Zone. What about um, Graveyard Shift? Yes. Sort of. Yeah, I it think was, it was mentioned. In it was the mentioned. I think he came up through there right. on the bus. So, uh, yeah, and Castle Rock is where Shawshank Prison is, so we'll, uh-huh. we'll get there shortly, actually. Uh, so he comes in a sinister black car and opens an antique store called Needful Things. I am grateful for the name of the antique store. I like it. I just think Needful Things is like a good name. Uh-huh. I think it's a good name for the book. I think it's a good name for a, sh- for a shop. So the store sells various items, of great personal worth, um, and some of them are clearly supernatural, yes. and some of them are just 
sort of rendered supernaturally, I would well, say. This is, uh, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, Ray Bradbury, with something like a This Way Comes. Yes. I was, at first, kind of not looking forward to seeing this movie because I assumed that it was just going to be the same story done by a different author. Gotcha. And, and Stephen King is very fond of Ray Bradbury. Even yeah, in his no, writing of course. Style. Everyone should be. But what I liked about this presentation is that he's not, in something, in something Wicked This Way comes, he's supernaturally donating things. He's giving a person back their legs. Or he's okay. Giving them, uh, there's a really neat story where he gives a young woman back her beauty. Only he renders her blind, so she can't see herself. Can't see it. Okay. So this there's things like, like that. Night gallery, <laughs> right? And uh, so there, and that's what uh, something wicked this way comes was. This lot of segments and these two kids who figure out what's going on. Right. Uh, with this story, though, what I liked is that rather than making it direct, there's a lot of it's he's manipulating pup- people he's into doing people. things mm-hmm. that really harm other people. Right, but. The things that they're doing don't seem right. They don't seem like they should carry as much weight as, as much they weight should. as they do. Right. Smearing pig shit or goose. Shit. What was it? Turkey shit? shit. Turkey shit. Turkey on shit. someone's freshly laundered sheets. Sheets should not have, should have been just a prank, a nasty prank. Yeah, but instead a prank. of starting a religious. But in that war. case, it winds up two people wind up killing, each, killing other each other over it yeah. really violently too. Yeah. So yeah. So. Yes, and he, yeah, he. So what he what he's doing, he's pay. He demands payment in both cash, and in favors, and right. he and they are couched as pranks. Uh, but every first of all, y'all, everybody in this town, tightly wound. Right. There is an ongoing culture war between the Catholics and the Baptists. Right. Right? It's Baptist? And they have their individual problems, yes. And then there are, yeah, individual issues. There's only one really nasty character in the town for me. Um, I'd say there are two for me. Who would be the two? Uh, uh, Buster and Oh, that's true, Wilma. Buster. Yeah. I forgot about Buster, yes. Buster. I, I would say those are the two bad people. Uh-huh. Um, so we start and... Uh, his first customer is Brian Rusk, a young boy, 14 maybe? I would say so, yeah. Uh, he buys a baseball card. It's Mickey Mantle, rookie year, the only one he doesn't have, 1956 baseball card, signed to Brian. So this is not a thing that is a magic, but it is a thing that is magically gotten. Right. right? That it would just appear. Um, he only has 95 cents. That I do really like that scene. There's a scene where he's like, don't tell the buyer, or don't tell the seller how much you have. Yeah, that was very cute. Like, like he's teaching uh, him how to negotiate, which, of course, this kid is screwed because right. there's no way he's going to win in the negotiation with actual Satan. Uh, but he, for 95 cents and... That's the cash value, but you also have to do a favor. And the favor is going to be, yes, go to Wilma Wadlowski-Jerzyk's house. Is she Polish? I wonder. I wonder. Scoop, she's a turkey farmer. 
So go into the pen, scoop a bunch of the mud and sh- turkey shit up, and then throw it at her laundry that's hanging. Right, her laundry line. So he does do that. Let's take a break. We'll come back. So everybody, it's it's weird because there are also some things where you're like, there's another half to this piece, and we don't see it. So in the town, we have Polly Chalmers, who runs the one diner, I guess, in town. And she uh, has um, a woman working for her who's played by, or played by amazing actress, Amanda Plummer. Right. Uh, that's Nettie Cobb. She makes delicious apple pies. She's very uh, quiet and shy. There is intimation that she seven years ago she killed her abusive husband. So you can see where Dolores Claiborne and yep. other people start formulating as yep. characters yep. here, I think. Uh, and now she has a dog. It's a beautiful Rottweiler whose name I've forgotten. I'm sorry, dog. It doesn't go well for this dog, though. No, it doesn't. And Wilma hates Nettie Cobb for reasons unbeknownst to us other than that one of them is a Baptist and one of them is a Catholic. I think Wilma is Catholic. Maybe, I think so. I didn't follow that one so well. I, I, there's a lot to these characters. There's a lot. That's kind of what makes the film so compelling is that there's a lot to get into. Yeah. So he, we also have a city council member, yacht salesman, used yacht salesman, used... Yachts, you're selling y'all. holes in the ocean where you throw your money. Woof. His name is Danforth Keaton III. His enemies call him Buster. Buster. <laughs> yes. Three people in this movie are doing main accents, I will say. Not more than three. Amanda Plummer is doing it. Amanda Plummer is doing because it. Because she is a consummate actress. She is. Uh, he has embezzled $20,000 of the town's tax money to pay off his gambling debts. Uh... So, Pangborn figures this out and basically gives him, like, till the following week to pay that shit back. Right. Or else, which, hey, hey, Sheriff, I'm pretty sure that you just not arresting him is a problem, but... This town, the way that he does, and you mentioned him as a Christ figure, I think in the other film he probably came across more developed, because here he is kind of a Christ figure, he figures it out... He figures it out. He, he sort of people. stays above the right. fray in a way that doesn't feel legitimate to me. Because I'm like, why are you so? Like, what What makes you so? And we don't, he doesn't hearken back. We don't hear back about right. that crazy thing that happened. Because this character in this movie is post-Dark Half. Right. So he has seen Sparrow's. And maybe, Rip apart maybe a doppelganger from hell. Maybe that's, so maybe the that's reason why. why he is so aware or he maybe. catches on very quickly because it's, well, I've seen this before. Yeah, right. Maybe so he's that like, might well, actually make a lot I of sense. I just seen a devil, like recently. Right. So maybe that is it, but we don't, we no, don't, yeah, we don't get, we don't that, get here. that. There's no callback to, you know, that crazy summer I spent chasing a serial killer who turned out to be someone's imagination. Yes. It doesn't happen. So what. Buster gets, I'm going to call him Buster because fuck this dude, is a J.T. Walsh, by the way, who's a yes, great actor. He is he great. He's really great. Or was really great. Um, he gets a, actually, his thing is very cool. It is a toy racetrack. 
that has like metal horses that will run races. And in this case, you can read an upcoming race, whisper each name of each horse and touch the horse and then run the race and it'll tell you who's going to win, supposedly. So this is a clearly supernatural thing in the guise of a toy. Uh, and J.T. Walsh, we should mention, local actor. Oh, yeah? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, and uh, sadly, and I remember when this happened, he died at 54 years old of a oh, heart attack. No, that's After yeah. just Good Morning Vietnam, A Few Good Men, Hoffa, Sling Blade, yeah. uh, Breakdown, where he played a really nasty character. Oh, I haven't seen that movie on And Pleasantville, and he was just really great He's at playing these kind of nasty, white-collar, entitled people who use their ability or their power or their place in culture to drag everyone down. Yeah, he's so, definitely like like white privilege personified. If it wasn't for the fact that the one of the the antagonists of this film is Satan, he would be the lead villain. Yeah, he's the he's a bad dude. Right. And the way he antagonizes and he the town clearly, sheriff. Yes, he antagonizes the count town no, sheriff. Excuse me, the sheriff and the deputy. The deputy, the deputy he really lays into He really does. He punches him at one point. Yeah. I'm like, go to jail. You got it. You can't. As much as sometimes we want to hit a police officer, that's not allowed. Right. Um, also, he, I don't know if he's laid hands on his wife, but it wouldn't surprise me. She seems to live in, she's a, fra- a frail kind of creature. Yes. Not that she's physically frail, but she looks like she's anxious about something all the time. He does seem to genuinely love her. That doesn't stop him from doing what he does later on in the film. Yes. But he he suffers a great deal of remorse. Like, he, after he commits this act, he really seems broken up by the fact that, wait, I loved her, why did I do that? Why did I do that, yeah. So, we see him sell a first edition Treasure Island mm-hmm. to Frank Jewett. He barely comes back. Or, yeah, yeah. I think he, the, his part was much bigger in the original uh, or in the longer cut. Um, he learns of the rivalry between the Catholic priest, Father Meehan, and a Baptist minister, Willie Rose, and sells each of them objects from his shop. Now, the the Baptist minister comes out looking real bad here. Now, because yeah, this he, is not good for Protestants. It's not. It's What he ends up buying is a, like a fetish statue? Right. Um, it is a lady riding on a giant dick. Now, it reminds me of Aubrey Beardsley's weird kind of tiny fairies riding giant phalluses around that he used to do for decorative illustrations in early... I've never heard of this before. Really? No. Nope. I think it harkens back to Roman art in some ways. The suggestion... But his thing is the whole corner of the shop right. when he's in there is just... Porn art. I mean, it's stuff that you could say this is art, so I can hang this on the wall. But uh-huh. y'all, it's porn. It is. Um, it is. Well, yeah. Okay, it's not. So it's, he he comes out looking bad because what's the Catholic do, get? The Holy Grail. The Holy <laughs> Damn Grail. Which is which, which okay, is wild. This is what I saw. Okay, <laughs> in that. And they never. And maybe it's there's something different again in the longer cut. But that's very plainly what it is. Yes. I think that we don't. We get nothing about it. We don't. We see the father see it in the window, uh-huh. and then he has it later on. But we're there's no discussion about it. There's no purchasing of it. It's definitely not the Holy Grail, but he definitely I, believes that I, it is. I, I like the idea that we have. I don't think the devil would have it. <laughs> 
first of no, all. No, no, of course not. But he doesn't know that this is the devil. No, I What I think is, is kind of the dig that's being taken here is that the Baptist gets a piece of ancient art, supposedly, that's just dirty, and the Catholic gets a piece of ancient art that might be sacred, but that's basically where their head's at. Yeah, it's in the Baptists don't, the, the, don't the, come the, out looking The Baptist great. minister is also, it's almost as if to say that one is just more vulgar than the other. Yeah. The Baptist minister does not come across well because he essentially is a killjoy. Yes. His biggest complaint about the Catholic priest is that he's holding a casino night in the church to yeah. raise funds, and that irks him to no end. Yeah. But it leads to some very funny scenes. There's a great scene with the Baptist minister attempting to pass off a bumper sticker or like a sticker to be put in the window of needful things yeah. to Max von Sydow, which is what, say no to the devil or something. Yeah, it says say no to the devil. And Max von Sydow, <laughs> right. it's, it's legitimately the best stammering right. I've ever heard ever, except by somebody who was actually right. stammering. He he's like uh, I couldn't possibly right. like and the, the way that he does it is masterful. There's a lot of very funny moments in this film. There are, and he Max Honsido again, a very serious dramatic actor in some cases, is just terribly funny. I love and there's like things that you won't get. There's like little digs or little pieces of humor. At one point, he talks about Jesus. So the young carpenter from Nazareth, he came to a bad end. And you realize, as a filmmaker, he played Jesus years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, and then speaking as a devil, that makes it even funnier. Um, There's another bit that he has where he makes a comment about passing out weapons to people. Guns don't kill people. Yes, guns don't kill people. Keep people, kill people. And he says that almost facetiously, and you realize this is directed by Fraser Heston. But but that was before. I don't think his dad was doing the MRI stuff at that point. But at the same time, he's a very famous conservative. That's true. uh, Who was a, a, a public voice for the NRA. Yeah. So I just think that's very funny that that line comes yeah. out of his mouth. So there's a lot of neat little things in this movie that I, I almost want to watch it again, and I really wish we could see the longer cut, because I'm sure there's a lot more of them. Yeah. There's a lot of really cute digs at people and things and yeah. subversive little moments. So um, so he sends Brian Rusk to soil Wilma's sheets. Uh-huh. Wilma walks into this and presumes that Nettie Cobb has done this. They have been uh, enemies forever. Why? Who knows? They'd seen each other in the shop uh-huh. where Wilma got, you know, I don't know that she got anything. She didn't buy anything then. She, she was looking at knives? She was looking at weapons, oh, frankly. Yeah. She was looking at a battle axe, I think. Which is funny, considering what that means. At least it used to mean in some Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Nettie does end up buying this little um, figurine, figurine yeah. which is uh, the same as one that her abusive husband, abusive husband had broken years, years ago. Sometimes an accident can be a woman's best friend. That's what he says, yep. And it's a Hummel figurine. Right. There you go. And so her, the thing, so Brian has been asked, tasked to do the shit. Right. 
And then Wilma goes to Nettie's job and threatens her and her dog. Um, then Nettie goes to, ha, is sent to Buster's, Buster's house. house and places all of these post-it notes that are like... Um, they're tickets. They're tickets. There's a ton. This, the prep for this uh-huh. had to take a day no because there's all these post-it notes uh-huh. that are tickets that are all signed by Norris Widgwick who is the sheriff deputy there. sheriff right. and sheriff. they all have separate there's like 500 of them uh-huh. and they all have separate like things he's being cited for including like being the biggest cocksucker in Castle Rock horse that's fucking, one of them that was my favorite horse fucking is one <laughs> right. of them yeah so and she goes into his house while he's there, y'all. Well, he he's comes there. In the middle of it, though. That's um, he's in his office yeah, running yeah. this horse racing machine because he's going to get this twenty thousand dollars back before he goes to prison. And she sticks these stickers all over his house. But once again, I need to stress he's there, <laughs> and um, she's like giggling to herself because it's silly. It's like it's silly. Yeah. And the and then she has to sneak out because he does come out of his study to find these things and thinks that Norris Ridgwick did it. Now, if you came out into your house that had five hundred sticky notes calling you a cocksucker, right. signed by somebody, would you presume that that was the person who did it? Because I, I wouldn't. Buster is not the most not that saying that he's stupid, but he seems to lead with his emotions more than often than not. I think that yeah. he's not going to think that over. He's just going to go, oh, this is because I got in this fight with him and I got the better of him and I threatened his job. So this is how Ridgeway gets back at me. Yeah. Now, I have to say that scene is, and there's a lot of beautiful use of classical music in this film. Yeah. And that scene between Amanda Plummer's performance yeah. and the music. Yeah. Is just there's a, a an amount of just horrible glee to that performance yeah. and that scene. It's very funny, and when he walks out into the house, in while she's putting these up, there's actually some suspense as to whether or not she's getting out of the house safely. Yes, and you worry about her because she's not. She's not all together. Right. <laughs> I guess but is it's how it's very is. funny because you can see the glee on her face. Yeah, she's she like, this is ridiculous. Her, right? Yeah. She's so, literally skipping at one point. It's really, I love that scene. Meanwhile, we have Hugh Priest, who is the town drunkard, who has gotten a varsity jacket uh-huh. from Leland Gaunt. He is tasked with the least funny prank, which is the killing of Nettie's dog. Right. Uh, meanwhile... Brian is told that he still owes on his baseball card uh-huh. and ha- it takes a bunch of apples once again while Wilma's husband is home. Well, he's in the yard. He's in the yard. He's feeding the turkeys. Uh-huh. And he goes, and Brian goes up to the house with a uh, crate full of apples and with, you know, divine help, breaks well, infernal help everything. He breaks every. Mind he, you, kid, play, he, kid he throwing throws the, the apples. Good form. He's apples. Really good. <laughs> he throws them through every window, and then every glass thing. It's the microwave, 
broken, television broken, every photo broken, every window broken. He destroys this house. Every piece of crockery with, like, flour in it, Uh broken. Yes, infernal help. He destroys this woman's house. Wilma gets... (laughs) Oh... Assumes again that Nettie did this. Right. I don't know. And you hear this is another good thing. You hear her husband coming up. Wilma, did you see the windows? <laughs> he was there the whole time. He's kind of adult. <laughs> yeah, husband. Not the right. So at which point, um, Nettie comes uh-huh. threatening because her she's found her dog. Skinned. Yes. It's Which heinous. Is very similar to, I felt, uh, Salem's Lot. Yeah. Where the dog is killed. Yeah. We also lose a dog in uh, Golden Years. Yeah. Stephen King. Hey, Stephen King, could you stop killing the dogs, please? <laughs> they didn't do anything to you. Um, and then these two women... Murder each other. Now, this is something. Uh, uh, this is passes using a butcher knife and a meat cleaver. This is the passes the Bechtel test for fight scenes. I think it's like how often do you get to see two women fighting each other, not over a man, but just because they're two women who really hate each just other, just hate each other. Now, I understand that, like Roger Ebert complained about this film, saying that it was really nasty and mean spirited. I think he sort of missed the point, and. I really enjoyed the film, and these moments, to me, I mean, they're horrible, but they're supposed to be horrible. They're supposed to be horrible. Because it's not like the, we're not watching vampires sucking some sort of fantasy violence. Right. Although there's that element, of course, in no, the fact that No, this devils. fight is rough. This is two people these trying to kill These women probably got hurt. Oh, I'm sure they did. <laughs> I'm sure that, you know, like when you're watching the, the 73 Musketeers and you're aware that all the actors in this film got injured during their fight scenes, stabbed, kicked. Busted kneecaps, yeah. broken ribs. I got that same sense in this film that these two people probably really went at it and really hurt each other. Yeah. So Brian has run off, but he sees the investigation and sees that these two women are dead. Uh-huh. Tries to talk to Alan. He's Alan finds him in a barn with a gun, and he's like, "I didn't mean to." Basically, like, I didn't know. No, you're talking about the kid, right? Brian, yeah. It wasn't, I thought it was at the lighthouse. Oh, he was at the lighthouse. Right. It looked like the inside of a barn. I think the actual inside, yeah. Yeah. Yes, you're right. right. It was, he was at the lighthouse. And um, Brian's like, God's a monster. And then he tries to shoot himself in the head. Uh Um, Now, now our sheriff, our uh, ineffable, (laughs) our ineffable sheriff. It's not the right word. I know, guys. Um. It's closer to what you want, though. Tries to, sh- try, tries to stop him, and Brian doesn't die, but he does end up in the hospital. Um, oh, we should mention, at the very beginning, Alan Pangborn uh, proposed to Polly. So Paul. they are engaged. I don't know. That's about it with them. Yeah. So don't worry about it. So Father Mian... Slashes the tires on the town drunk's truck. Uh-huh. The town drunk presumes that it was the um, the mean 
pub owner, which is wild because he's that not man mean. he just throws him out every night. Throws you out because you because are he's too drunk. Physically sir. abusing the that's the other thing. The yeah, jukebox. He's constantly kicking and slapping and punching it. Well, to be fair, when it sticks like that, uh, it's got stuck on achy breaky heart, and y'all, I would have kicked it too. Uh, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something. Something that did not pay off in the cut that we watched was the dishy blonde woman sitting at the bar all the time. Yeah. And I didn't know who that was. And it later... It's Brian's mom. Brian's mom. Which, yeah, you don't really know that. Right. And so you're just wondering, why is that woman sitting in dark sunglasses at this bar every night? Yeah. Every time you see the bar, she's there. Yeah. Yes. Brian's mom is uh, a bar fly, but right. we, we barely understand that, that those two are related to but, one But, I mean, that would have helped a lot with understanding why he's by himself all the time. Right. Right, right, right. Um, and I think... His dad's gone, right? right. And, and so that baseball card was a connection to him, right. to his dad, that we don't really... And yeah, see, that's, that's why... You I'm kind wanting... of don't, you don't get that, right? How so... often, and this is why the movie works for me, how often do you want more story? Often yeah, it's right. like, oh, I'm over, there's just so much just, to yeah. go through. It's like, no, here there's not enough. And because of the way that the story is set up where uh-huh. Gaunt is pitting people not against their actual nemeses, right. but seemingly against somebody they don't have any connection to. Right, exactly. You have to have all these people. And so the time limit really is a problem. This book gives me a lot of respect for Stephen King's abilities as a writer. So Dick- Dickensian, no? Right. Many, well, many Not people. just that, but the the intricacy of the plotting to make sure that you have all these characters... And there's a dozen or so major characters. And yes. they all manage to, you know... That he sets and the book, up. there's even more. Right, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, that he sets it up so that each character is able to do something to another character. So it's motiveless. It's kind of like strangers on a train. Two people who aren't related to each other at all do each right. other's crimes. So there's no way of tracing it back to them because right. they have no motive. Right. And so he, it, it must have been a feat. I'm imagining. I, I'm, I'm picturing a, the a whiteboard with writing exactly. <laughs> yes, yep, with yep. all these things written back and forth to be able to keep track of it because it is really complicated. <laughs> yeah. But that's what makes the film work too. Yeah. And if I, if I find the time, I'll read the book because I'm very curious about how he pulled this off as a writer. I remember really liking the book. Um, so Polly has gotten a necklace that has helped her with. Crippling her arthritis, and um, at, by this point, Pangborn's like, "Got something? You got to take this necklace off." And she's like, "I don't. I, you don't know what it's like." And they do a nice job with her hands. They're very gnarled. Oh, yeah. They turn in on themselves. She's unable to do anything with them. Um, she. Uh. She tries prying it open to see what's inside and gets a shock, which sends the necklace across to him. Now, in the book, mm-hmm. there's a living thing inside of that necklace. That's all I'm going to say. It's not okay. the case here. Um, Gaunt shows up in her bedroom, puts the necklace back on her. The necklace is $20 and a prank. Uh-huh. But that's the price. And then... He fucks her. <laughs> Which is a really weird scene because, again, he he's... seduces her. Is that the prank? Is that know. the rest of her payment? Well, I think that 
he's doing this again for a purpose. His what he's doing though is doing it to upset Pangborn. Yes, well, not just that. He also says that Alan is corrupt and has been embezzling money with right. uh, Buster. Now she had seen Alan basically um, when when Alan was um, confronting Buster about the embezzling and giving him an ultimatum. She witnessed that from the outside, so she didn't. She didn't hear what was hear going what on. was happening, and then um, she goes to does Alan live yeah he lives on a boat go to Pangborn's yacht and look for the money um so she goes I think he lives on that boat Uh I think it's like a and there's a desk and there are all of these envelopes that just have random amounts of cash on them just strewn across the desk, which is not how anybody keeps cash, especially not embezzled cash. And and later you find out that, um, I think it's the, let me see. Frank Jewett the first edition of Treasure Island, he's right. the one that puts that money there. Okay. We hear it in a in a passing thing in a later scene. Um so she calls Alan from there and accuses him of the crime and calls off the engagement. Now Buster is now getting real paranoid. Um he has attacked Ridgewick. Uh-huh. At this point, they've gotten into a physical fight that had to be broken up by that Pangor. was broken up. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I do like Pangborn trying to deal with those two because he's like, just one of just fight, and one of you kill the other one, and then I'll lock the one up that's left. <laughs> like I am tired of your bull. You guys are grown ass men. Right. Knock it the fuck off. And it's very good because it is like he is dealing uh, with children. Uh, That's exactly the the way that he deals with them. Like they're both a pair of kids. Could you just behave yourselves? Because I'm sick and tired of breaking up the fight. Yeah. Um. He then drives home and accuses his wife of sleeping with Ridgwick. Right. Exactly. And then kills her. With a hammer, y'all. With a hammer. This and, and again, we have to emphasize this is not uh, gore played for humor. This is actually violent, bloody gore. Yeah, no. We don't see him do that. We right. see, I think, swings and things. We, we see, don't see a really nasty scene of him washing off a hammer with hair and blood. Stuff that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's just that's all you need. To you do. don't like, need yeah, anything that's bad else. Enough. I don't. And then he gets a call from Leland saying, "You gotta come see me. I've got something that'll make you feel better." So Hugh Priest, uh-huh. our town drunk, goes into the bar with a shotgun that he has received from Leland God and goes right up to the owner who also pulls a shotgun from behind the bar and then they shoot each other. Where are we at? We are at a death toll of four and a dog? Five oh, and a dog. Five and a dog, yeah. And this is like when we start running downhill, right? Yeah. Like just everything is gone. Uh, Gaunt's ta- pranks have now spread throughout the town. 
there's paranoia, there's suspicion, there's anger. Everybody is there's a riot blaming going everybody on. else, and now he's selling guns, encouraging them to just kill whoever's wronged them, um, playing on greed and fear. Uh, Buster puts explosives in the Catholic Church that go off while Pangborn is inside talking to the priest and relaying that his suspicions his suspicions that God is the devil. To which the priest is like, nah. He's a nice guy. <laughs> Look, nice he got guy. me this holy grail. And then the church explodes. Uh-huh. They they get out. Um, but Mian immediately is like, Willie Rose did this and goes to fight him. Because <laughs> he's an Irish priest. So yeah, let's go fight. And then basically a riot comes out because you hear that the Baptist church is also on fire right. currently. We don't know who starts that. And Pangborn is basically, he has to pull a gun on the priest because the priest is trying to cut off the head of right. the Baptist minister. It's not a good look. Pray, priest. <laughs> Jesus says no to this. Right. Uh, and then Pangborn just fucking fires his gun into the air to like... Many times. Just stop. And God's like bummed out. Um, yeah, the the way that it works in this scene is that he he's walks sitting out on to the porch, porch just, just like hmm. is encouraging people. To and people are him. running back and forth, shouting. They've right. all got weapons. Church is on fire. That church is on fire. Um, everyone stops, and Pangborn is like, um, "Hey, everybody." Everybody, calm the fuck down and think about your actions. It's all this motherfucker. And God's like, man, I wouldn't have, I would have gotten away for with it too if not for this meddling sure. sheriff. <laughs> um, and 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 he he basically does do that. He's like, you, like you're spoiling all my fun, dude. <laughs> like you suck, and. <laughs> But ex- everybody I, is I like, oh, that, I'm the one Max who... Masita, just like, you suck, <laughs> you suck. Dude, right? That, that would have been great. Um, like, you start hearing, oh, I'm the one who put them the money there, and mm-hmm. I'm the one who slashed right. your Everyone tires, and I'm, they start what they saying did. what they... These little things uh-huh. that ended up being big things. And they start banding together. The priest yeah. stops punching the hell out of the, the Baptist minister. People start reconciling with each other, and that's really making Gaunt upset. Yeah, like he he thinks he's like he's really irritated, and everyone is chill except fucking Buster because Buster was always well. Buster is he's now been pushed the worst. Over. He's now murdered he's, his wife. He's, he's murdered lost his, his wife. Bearings. He's lost his bearings. He was all, but he was also already uh-huh. probably the worst person in he town. Was, right? Well, You've already embezzled twenty thousand dollars yeah, from the town. Exactly. You clearly have. A gambling problem. Right. You may have a drinking problem. You're pro- probably an abusive husband before you killed your wife, and you're definitely an abusive husband now. Um, and he goes up and points a gun at the sheriff and the deputy, and shows that he is basically strapped to the bomb. Like he's got, uh-huh. he's a he's a bomber now, and so like a suicide bomber now. He's gonna blow everybody up, and Alan talks him down. And sort of turns him against Leland Gott. And God basically is like, he's taunting him. He taunts him. 
He's calls him busted to his uh, face. He really fucking hates that shit. Well, not only that, he's actually mocking him he's and mocking his, him. questioning his masculinity. Masculinity. He, oh yes, all he's of that. Doing all of that. And then uh, Keaton tackles him through the window, setting off the bomb, and the whole thing explodes. Because of course he can't die. Right. He can leave this mortal form behind, but he's not dead. And he doesn't even bother doing that either. He just walks out of the ashes. Oh, that's right. He does. Defeated but completely unharmed, he emerges from the burning wreckage of the store saying it wasn't his best work. And then he walks up to Alan Pangborn and Polly, telling him they make a cute couple and he'll encounter their grandson in 2053. And then departs, presumably, to. Oh, he drives away in his black car. Right. And he's gonna Which I thought was a funny ending. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, well, that's. It didn't work out this time. You people suck. You ruined my fun. Blah blah blah. Yeah. But I'm gonna get it back at your grandkids. Ha-ha. But I, I th- like fundamentally, uh-huh. this story is a good one because each of the people has their own shit. Right. And so it's not like, um, Roger Ebert says, you know. It has one note which it plays over and over again. Right. And I don't think that's right. Because if it had one note, every person would be equally bad, get an equally bad thing, and do an equally bad thing. And that is not what this is. Yeah, I think that he missed the point. It is the same. I mean, yes, it's the devil is giving you the thing that you want and extracting a price. That That is the premise of this. But I, uh, yeah, I, but I, like I said, because it's two hours, because you don't get as full a backstory, because you have to do a lot of this filling in right. on your own and listen for, there were things where you didn't get things explicitly. It was like it was folded in off screen yeah. behind a thing to like try and fill in some of these plot holes. That just that were there because two hours and this many people aren't enough. Right, aren't enough. Uh, because what you need is a whole ass episode before Leland God gets there. You need you, to know right. what this town is and what these dynamics are. Because the film are. comes in with him, and there's yes. another there's another very cute scene, the, the parody of The Shining, yes, with the car driving into the town and. Whereas in that film, they were driving into an evil. This is evil driving, driving into, into your them. town. Yeah. Right, because so. I was like, did anybody tell him that this has already been done? But right. then that's what you said. You're right. like, yeah, it's, they're it's, not, this isn't somebody going towards the evil. This right. is evil coming towards you or coming, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a lot of, the, I, I really found the movie to be really enjoyable. It was a lot of fun. Um, but like the whole time, I'm just like, I want a scene of this. fun though. I want a scene I, yeah. of this. I want a scene of this. And I want to read it again because, yeah, it really feels like... And, and there's these are people also that you've seen in other right. stuff. Like, there are other books set in Castle Rock, and these are names that you've seen before. Um, so so you, you, you lose a lot of that in this because it's so rushed. It's like, it starts going... You know, it starts at a nine. Right. And it doesn't really have anywhere to go from there. Yeah. You know, Wilma and Nettie kill each other, what, an hour in? Yeah, I think that that's the... the, maybe, the not even, maybe, maybe not even that. The and time then it's to develop like, it is what's missing, is that there's not a chance to 
really start sitting with the characters. And I feel that, and from what I understand, the longer cut that I didn't get to see the whole um, three hours of or something, right. actually has scenes written in a different order. Yes, they they do put things in a different order, which so it's not just adding things in that got cut. Yeah. It was a whole separate. As far as I'm concerned, that's a separate movie at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah I enjoyed it, and everybody in it is so good. Yeah, nobody's phoning in a performance, and there's a lot of. As I mentioned earlier, the mom sitting at the the bar. Yeah. I wanted to know her story. Yeah. I don't know if I would get that even in the extended version. You but get it in the book. You get it in the I, book. I really wanted to know what her story was and what she was doing and what she was up to. Yeah. That was interesting to me. And it, the, the film is very careful with little details like that. So, yeah, I would recommend it. I would just put the caveat, it's, it is funny and it's a good film, but it's kind of mean-spirited. That part is true. There's it is. There's going to be a lot of... And it doesn't. And I, I, I even think it's uh, less mean spirited in the version that we see uh-huh. than it is. Ju- like Probably, it's, yeah. Because, like I said, the, the thing that makes this story scary to me is that these are not, by and large, quote unquote bad, bad people, people. Yeah. Right. And the things that they're doing aren't grand, like the pranks, quote uh-huh. unquote pranks aren't these grand bad things. It's right. not go into a movie theater and kill 40 people. Right. It's slash that guy's tires tonight. Well, because it's tonight is the night that it's going to just tip him over the That's end. There's something about that where it feels very much like you could accept I'm just playing a practical joke on somebody. Right. So there's it's not... Which is why I think Amanda Plummer... Uh-huh. Like giggling her way through Buster's house, right. putting these stickers ev- on every surface, is really showing that. Like, yes, it's, it's not... demonstrating the fact that there was, or even the kid throwing the baseballs. It's, the, 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 yes, it's like the apples, not the shit, because right. he was like, this is disgusting. Like, I don't like this. He's practicing, and it, like, as I said, he has really good form. So it's does, almost yeah. like he's, you know, he's giving his best workout session. And nailing stuff through the windows the whole time. So it's pretty good. Yeah, I really in, in, enjoyed this film. Again, mean-spirited, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought it was a, I thought it was good. I just, I, I, I think this is a good candidate for a, a, some sort of remake. Right. In our limited series culture that we are currently in. The problem that I would have with it, though, is that I don't think you will ever get a cast of people. And that's what I was thinking. Like I was like, again. "Do you want to cast it? I kind of want to cast it." I'm thinking, particularly when you have some really great performances by people like Bonnie Bedelia and some of the others. Yeah, and Bonnie Bedelia is a weird talent. I love her, but she just she has a weird gift for being very fragile and very kind of tough at the same time. And we saw that in Salem's Lot. Yeah, you know, she's very fragile. She's very small, but she's scrambling up that hill to the margin house by yeah. herself. and Very scrappy in a way. But there's like qualities that some of them, I think that um, Ed Harris has a quality that's hard to capture. Yeah. Especially in this film. And I think Amanda Plummer is just one of those talents who's just Honestly, so though, weird. You know? Nettie, right now, I'm casting as Carrie Preston. 
Um, she is uh, married to Michael Emerson, uh, our my generation's Donald Pleasance. Uh, she yes. was in True Blood, True Blood, and she's in The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Um, and she feels like she feels like Amanda Plummer to me. Right. You know what I mean? We don't really typically... It's also like, how old would I want Leland Gaunt to be? We don't typically have... I, and Max Mosquito isn't a horror actor. No. But this is the kind of part where it would help to have what we used to call people who did this kind of thing. It would help to have... Oh, like a Vincent a Price. A Vincent Price yeah. or a Christopher Lee or one of these yeah. big doomed... Which is very funny because when... Uh, Ooh, you know who... Who uh, I would like to see then? Candyman. Oh yeah, Tony Todd. He's Tony still... Todd would be an amazing Leland Gaunt. The uh, Christopher Lee was actually supposed to be, and I believe he might have actually been the inspiration for the character in Something Wicked This Way Comes. Ray Bradbury was a friend of his. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so um, there was when the film, the very first film version, was supposed to be made. It was supposed to be him. But the producers change that because they're thinking, well, there's too much of a horror association. We'll know who he's supposed to be. But that was a terrible missed opportunity. Although eventually the person who played it for the film was Jonathan Price, and he was very good, but he didn't have the, yeah. I think, the bearing. The, the size helps because Leland Gantz, the fact that he towers over everyone You want to tall film, for that? Right? Which Tony Todd would perfectly well fit. He's well over six feet tall. You know, if you wanted somebody younger, a Peter mm. Sarafinowitz could probably do pretty good. Don't remember his face. Um, I can't think of what. Do you remember Spy? No, I'll look him up though. Yeah, he's very he's very tall. He's like six seven or something right. like that. Um, and usually doing comedy, but I think he actually might be an interesting uh, version of that. Go big. I, you know what I want my camp Pangborn to be? I want Captain America. I want a Chris Evans Pangborn. He could do it. I think he has that same kind of solid down-to-earth quality that would really help with that sort of part. Um, yeah. I think that'd be interesting. But I think all I think you could do it now. Yeah. I just it yeah, it would be very odd, I think, to me. I really like the way this very kooky, weird... I just, it's just not... It doesn't feel done, and I want to see... Well, I want to see a version of this that feels done. If maybe somebody out there, if, somewhere... It, if you recorded it in 1996 when it aired on TBS, right. we, I don't know how to get it from <laughs> But, yeah, that would certainly... I would love to see that. Yeah, because um, I'd at least like to see what's missing. Long cut. Long version. I'm sure there's a bootleg of it somewhere. Where is it? It's nowhere. Oh. TBS. My computer just crashed. I mean, my... We're doomed not to find it. I, I My Chrome was like, you can't look at this. And so I guess... There's I a, a very funny a story about how... Um, Val Luton made a film called Ghost Ship. And for years, nobody could find a copy of it. Oh, this is not the movie that came no, no, out no, of that? Okay. No, this is a Val Luton film. And the first time that someone discovered a print, it was um, was taken to a screening room, and a group of 
critics and people who'd been waiting for a very long time to see this movie, loaded into the projector, which very quickly caught fire. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and destroyed You're, the one copy. This for you. Yeah, destroyed the one <laughs> copy they had because, again, uh, film stock is notoriously flammable. Flammable, yeah. And so, yeah, the film caught fire. It took another, what, 10 or 15 years to find another copy of it. Oof, but I thought that was hysterical. Like, oh, and then the projector caught fire and we couldn't see the movie. All right. So that's it for Needful Things. Right. Make one with Tony Todd in it. Or Peter Serafinowicz. What's he doing? I don't know. He's not doing the tick anymore. I feel bad about that, what I just said. All right. So next up, also from 1993, uh-huh. it was a big year, Dark Half, Needful Things. And next up, the Tommy Knockers. Which I'm really curious about. So I don't know how much of this we're gonna talk about next week or uh-huh. and if we're gonna split it. Um we have it on DVD. It's on a set that now, I bought. It's, how long is it? I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Oh fuck. Hold on. Sorry, my Computer has a little bit of a virus. It's a little bit of a virus. I need to fix it real quick. Settings. If anybody knows how to totally get rid of open search systems, hit me up because uh, it sucks. Tommy Knockers. The film. 1987. Book, 1993, television miniseries, part one, part two, two parts, so it'll be like three hours runtime total. Um, I'll get the full one time from IMDb. It would have been cool if you could have helped me find this, but that's fine. Sorry, I just... Okay. Yeah, well, you wanted to do both of these, and then... Okay. <sighs> I'm losing you, I feel like. Three hours and one minute. All right, so do you want to do it all in one? We, yeah, we'll... I think so. Three we'll hours do it all in one. If, it, if we get to the end of the first half, uh-huh. and it feels like that's going to be enough to talk about, right. we'll break it in two. But right now, as of right now, we'll say okay. we're going to do it in one. All right, no problem. Starring Jimmy Smits and Marg Helgenberger. Marg Helgenberger, I liked her. Uh, and Tracy Lords is in it. Wow, Tracy Lords. She used to do other things. Yes. But she turned out to, she turned things around. Good for her. Um my understanding Oh no, maybe I'm thinking of Cujo. Tommy Knockers is the last book I believe that Stephen King wrote in the depths of the addiction. Uh-huh. Um it's widely believed to be terrible. <laughs> well, I know that it borrowed liberally from uh, the Quatermass experiment and some oh, of Nigel Neal things. He admitted that, I think. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch because I really love those programs. Yeah. So we will be watching that for next week. Okay. Um, this is the 1993 version. There may be another version coming out oh, in the future. Okay. Uh, James Wan. Oh, that might be interesting. Might be working on one. 
Uh, we'll see. That's a future film version that they may be working on. So, in the meantime, do you have anything you want to recommend? You know, I have not been out and around lately, so I don't really have something to recommend. Um, no, we, we are finishing Mindhunter. We are. And it's turning out to be very interesting. I like this season, I think, a little bit better than last season. Hmm. I think it worked out some of the kinks, and it's being... Uh, because the first season I felt there was a lot of extraneous personal life information here. It's very streamlined, it feels like, and it, I believe it's a shorter season. They're getting to the point more. Yeah, it feels like, I think there's only six episodes or something. Um, like we have two more. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that as well. Yeah. Uh, I, so it's you know, fall, it's premiere season. I watch everything and Uh then discount most of it. Uh, I'm really liking Evil. Yes. We've only seen the first one. one episode, but it's very entertaining. It's really interesting. Uh, I like that dude, Mm -hmm. Luke Cage. I really, I'm a fan. I like Asif Manvi. Right. I'm a fan. So, I I like a procedural and I like a supernatural. So, and this is a supernatural, a supernatural procedural. procedural. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm. so, so far, so good. Uh-huh. I'm also intrigued by the sort of skeptic side of it. Like, right. it's, it wants skepticism. Right, it or invites, it, invites it. it uh, which I think is interesting. Right. Um, there was a show, what was it called? The Skeet Ulrich Show. Um Signs? No, I don't remember. It was not called Signs. Um, uh, let me find it. Skeetal Rick, you used to look like Johnny Depp, but like a weird version of Johnny Depp. Law and Order LA. I, Jericho. No, it wasn't Jericho. Miracles. There was a show in 2003 called Miracles, and I really liked it. And it was him as a priest debunking or undebunking miracles and this feels like a spiritual successor to that well yeah i mean there's a guy whose job it is just to make sure that people aren't devoting themselves to hoaxes outright hoaxes or just phenomena of nature or whatever there's there's an actual priest whose job that is and so this um this show yeah it does feel very similar we're not treated to a full-on priest, we're treated to a a man who's studying for the priesthood based on his experiences of the supernatural. Yeah. And he's teamed with a skeptic and now teamed with another skeptic who is supposed to keep him on solid ground. Yeah. While at the same time exploring the possibility of some sort of evil cult where Michael Emerson... Yeah, and Michael Emerson might be the devil, so yay. Uh, Or some sort of demon. Right. What we know for certain is he's heading some sort of... He's heading a cult or he's heading a... A group because they've been referred to vaguely. I hope the show lasts for more than one episode so we can see where it goes. Well, it was on tonight, so it's yeah, at least. But I two. mean, we've seen uh, shows like this just disappear. Yeah, there was I a think show they'll get a full season. With Terry O'Quinn, was it? Uh, that and Vanessa Williams. Oh, that that lasted. That was a whole season. I didn't see any of them though. I yeah, didn't. they moved them. Right. Yeah. So I think part that I think you're talking about Park Six 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 or something like that. Um, which is actually a Trump building, so that's there great. Alrighty, so next week, Tommy Knockers, uh-huh. watch it if you can find it. Yeah, we bought it on the DVD. 
it's tied with it's it's on there with I think Salem's Lot from right. two thousand and four and which the, we're also going to see uh, the remake of The Shining. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you can find us online at uh-huh. latecomerspod at gmail dot com for right. emails, questions, and concerns. Uh, your casting ideas. Let me hear them. Okay. And we're on Facebook at Latecomers Podcast, and we're on Twitter at Latecomers Pod. What are you looking like that for? I'm thinking. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of Loki from the Avengers. What about him? Tom Hiddleston. Yes. He might be a good devil. As oh, a devil. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think he's too young for a Leland God, though. Maybe. Uh, he's not gone enough either. He's pretty gaunt. And I reminded you to take your medicine, and we remind you, better late 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 late